Hello. Hi. What would you like to have a conversation about? I'd like to have a conversation about Ex Machina. Hello. I am Professor Robert E.G. Black, and this is Minutia Ex Machina. I'm here this week with a monologue instead of any conversation. Reality is so unreal, but it is a nice change. True, thumbs up. Caleb spent a brief time with Ava yesterday. He was awakened by Kyoko, who he surely doesn't suspect is also a gynoid, and now finds Nathan in his workout room. Because Nathan's performance must remain a step ahead of Caleb's, or all of this will go very badly. Caleb just told Nathan that testing Ava just through conversation feels like a closed loop, like testing a chess computer by only playing chess. Except a chess computer is programmed, if you're going to refer to it as a chess computer, specifically and probably only to play chess. So we should assume that Caleb means to test Ava by doing something with her other than just having a conversation. But what would that even be? I have said on this show that, in Caleb's position, I would spend as much of each day with Ava, watch movies with her, play games with her, have conversations that go far beyond pleasantries. Caleb is still just going to talk to her. Caleb, on various levels, lacks imagination, and this is a problem for the test, but also might be exactly why Nathan chose him for it. Caleb is not supposed to get ahead of Nathan's manipulations. And really, he doesn't. Ava does. And Kyoko adds her own nudges forward as well. Left to just his own devices, Caleb would have gone home alive a few days from now. But Caleb is an orphan, probably a bit of a loner, and he needs Nathan to like him. And given the opportunity, he needs Ava to like him as well. But that is just the story of the film, not its philosophy. Nathan asks, how else do you test a chess computer? Caleb responds, and as he does so, Nathan turns away from him, stretching his arms above him. Well, it depends, you know? I mean, you can play it to find out if it makes good moves, but, uh... Philosophically, Caleb is buying into the idea that we can assess another being's humanity. I quoted a line from Alan Turing last episode, responding to Jeffrey Jefferson's take on Descartes. Quote, According to the most extreme form of this view, the only way by which we could be sure that a machine thinks is to be the machine and to feel oneself thinking. End quote. Caleb seems to me neurodivergent enough that he should have a problem with the very ideas he is espousing in this minute of the film. Or maybe it's because I am neurodivergent in the way that I am that I have a problem with it. Take a spectrum from most inhuman to most human, and who gets to decide where any of us fits on that spectrum? Those with power. Political power, social power, media power, the power of physical strength and weaponry. Those who can stomp down the voices that differ too much from the supposed norm and raise up those saying exactly what they most want said. It is July 2022 as I write and record this episode. Multiple pandemics, climate change, political upheavals, economic collapses. These are the things we scroll past on social media because it has become common. Laws are proposed, laws are passed that target specific elements of the LGBTQIA community that take away their access to what they need to be who they are. We lock up foreign refugees and treat them more like stray animals than fellow humans. Roe v. Wade has been overturned and female bodies are being policed at state borders to see if they are pregnant, and doctors performing abortions are being reported for doing so. And why? Because one portion of this country is pushing and pushing to adopt extreme positions that are objectively abhorrent, and another portion of this country thinks that we can vote our way out of a slow apocalypse. Those in power, regardless of political party, are incentivized to maintain something close to the status quo, and that means when one side pushes, the other may not be inclined to push back because they might lose some of their base. Because we have decided that all men are not created equal, 
and might makes right. And the American way is that if at first you don't succeed, you need to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps, even though those on top didn't get there on their own, but because they had a leg up at birth or latched themselves onto the right coattails at the right time. Caleb continues as Nathan sits down on a workout bench. This conversation is unimportant to him, or at least he needs Caleb to think so. And we angle on Caleb by the window, coffee in hand. But that won't tell you if it knows that it's playing chess, which is irrelevant to any reason you would need to test a chess computer, unless this is Joshua, aka Whopper, and the game's programming is right in the middle of your strategic missile defense systems. But that is not what Caleb is talking about. He might not know Ghostbusters, but I have a feeling he definitely doesn't know war games if he is conflating Ava with a chess computer. On Ava's behalf, I am a little offended, in fact. She has already played at least one syntactical game with Caleb when she claims she was one, without putting any units on it, which her insistence on saying she is just one, even after Caleb asked for clarification, suggests already that she is doing something more than merely conversing. Caleb adds, And it won't tell you if it knows what chess is. A chess computer doesn't need to know that it is playing chess. It doesn't need to know anything. And humans are capable of conversation long before we know what conversation is. And some humans are illiterate, inarticulate, and capable of communicating their needs. But does that mean they are not human? We're back on the previous shot. Caleb now by the window. Nathan picks up dumbbells to continue his workout, and he says to Caleb, "Uh Uh-huh, so it's simulation versus actual. But is it? Or rather, is there a difference? Or if that difference is so small as to be negligible, must we designate a difference at all? In a 1978 speech, science fiction author Philip K. Dick explains his take on what reality is. He says, quote, It was always my hope, in writing novels and stories which asked the question, What is reality? to someday get an answer. This was the hope of most of my readers, too. Years passed. I wrote over 30 novels and over 100 stories, and still I could not figure out what was real. One day a girl college student in Canada asked me to define reality for her for a paper she was writing for her philosophy class. She wanted a one-sentence answer. I thought about it and finally said, Reality is that which, when you stop believing in it, doesn't go away. That's all I could come up with. That was back in 1972. Since then, I haven't been able to define reality any more lucidly. End quote. Like Ava's quote-unquote intelligence, reality by Dick's definition here is essentially immeasurable. To measure it, you have to believe in it so you can never measure its absence. It exists. You can observe and measure its attributes. It is beyond you. Unless, you know, it isn't. Unless, you listening to this now are a construct, perhaps the only construct. This is just an invented memory in order to shape the way you will interact with the world. Or maybe there is no world at all, and you are inventing this podcast, and the next, and that television show you watched last night, the bed you slept in, those eggs you ate for breakfast. This is why philosophy as a subject unto itself bothers me. Like so much of religion, it is an attempt to 1. measure the immeasurable, or 2. define it when it cannot be measured in order to dictate its control. And I don't really believe that reality is immeasurable. Rather, the notion of reality being a simulation, or a particular simulation, like Ava or Caleb's hypothetical chess computer, being close enough to the reality that the difference doesn't matter. Is philosophy useful? Obviously, yes and there is some subjectivity to reality that we absolutely must pay attention to. Dick continues, But the problem is a real one, not a mere intellectual game. Because today we live in a society in which spurious realities are manufactured by the media, by governments, 
by big corporations, by religious groups, political groups, and the electronic hardware exists by which to deliver these pseudo-worlds right into the heads of the reader, the viewer, the listener. Sometimes when I watch my 11-year-old daughter watch TV, I wonder what she is being taught. The problem of miscuing. Consider that. A TV program produced for adults is viewed by a small child. Half of what is said and done in the TV drama is probably misunderstood by the child. Maybe it's all misunderstood. And the thing is, just how authentic is the information anyhow, even if the child correctly understood it? What is the relationship between the average TV situation comedy to reality? What about the cop shows? Cars are continually swerving out of control, crashing and catching fire. The police are always good and they always win. Do not ignore that point. The police always win. What a lesson that is. You should not fight authority, and even if you do, you will lose. The message here is, be passive. And cooperate. If Officer Beretta asks you for information, give it to him. Because Officer Beretta is a good man and to be trusted. He loves you, and you should love him. So I ask, in my writing, what is real? Because, unceasingly, we are bombarded with pseudo-realities manufactured by very sophisticated people using very sophisticated electronic mechanisms. I do not distrust their motives. I distrust their power. They have a lot of it. And it is an astonishing power, that of creating. I'll end this quote here, because Dick refers to whole universes and segues into the worlds he creates. But the problem is laid out there is that the media, those with the power to tell us what is real, and present anyone who disagrees as the enemy. They are dangerous. Nathan manipulates and controls Caleb. Nathan manipulates and controls Ava. Ava manipulates and controls Caleb. And Caleb, he is like some random on Twitter who thinks that because all of his voices are available that they all have equal weight and scientists and their research don't matter if some politician or celebrity tells them that the earth is flat and you don't need to wear a mask to protect other people because it's a dog-eat-dog, winner-take-all, every-man-for-himself reality because their go-to reference book left the idyllic Garden of Eden behind for a harsh reality that they constantly insist is more harsh perhaps than it really is and as long as any one of us feels at all powerless... We will latch on to the presentation of reality that befits our situation and offers us the idea that we are not at the bottom of the ladder, that we have all the opportunities we could ever want, and it is our own failings that keep us from rising to the top. So we back into our corners, find our misguided, twisted tribes, and lash out at anyone that is different from us, because clearly those differences cannot arise from nature's endless forms, most beautiful and most wonderful, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, and the aberrations must be outlawed at best, extinguished at worst. One more notion from Dick's speech, quote, But I consider that the matter of defining what is real, that is a serious topic, even a vital topic. And in there somewhere is the other topic, the definition of the authentic human. Because the bombardment of pseudo-realities begins to produce inauthentic humans very quickly. Spurious humans, as fake as the data pressing at them from all sides. My two topics are really one topic. They unite at this point. Fake realities will create fake humans or fake humans will generate fake realities and then sell them to other humans, turning them eventually into forgeries of themselves. So we wind up with fake humans inventing fake realities and then peddling them to other fake humans. It is just a very large version of Disneyland. You can have the pirate ride, or the Lincoln simulacrum, or Mr. Toad's wild ride. You can have all of them, but none is true. End quote. I have said in this show before, maybe not as directly as this, that in debating the humanity or intelligence of Ava, we must remember that Nathan and Caleb are as fictional as she is. This is, after all, a movie. 
a heady movie that might make us wax philosophical, but still just a movie. On that level, whether Ava is comes down to a sort of reverse of something Father David said just a few episodes ago. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, that our humanity came down to our capacity to love. But I would say as well that we must measure another's humanity by its capacity to invite our love or our concern. Step into the fiction as you must do when watching a film, and the question is not, is Ava real enough for Caleb's or Nathan's tests? It is this, through the film, do we care about Ava? Do we root for her? Are we horrified and or enamored by her actions? Angle on Caleb. He continues, Yes, yeah, and I think being able to differentiate between those two is the Turing test you want me to perform. Before we get to Nathan's rejection, I would suggest that Caleb's phrasing is backward. He doesn't need to differentiate. He needs to demonstrate that differentiation is impossible or irrelevant. In the script, Caleb adds, the difference between an AI and an I. Nathan laughs. Nathan, an AI and an I. Beautiful. I'm going to start following you around with a fucking dictaphone. Cheesy taglines aside, that is the distinction, but only because we define what AI means and what I means. And it is worth mentioning, even in passing, that Alan Turing did not set out specifically to create a means to measure artificial intelligence as a scientific exercise, as it were. Robin Grandy, Turing's friend and doctoral student, and who inherited Turing's books and papers upon his death, describes Turing's intent in Human versus Mechanical Intelligence, Machines and Thought, 1996. Quote, His computing machinery and intelligence was intended not so much as a penetrating contribution to philosophy, but as propaganda. Turing thought the time had come for philosophers and mathematicians and scientists to take seriously the fact that computers were not merely calculating engines but were capable of behavior which must be accounted as intelligent. He sought to persuade people that this was so. He wrote his paper, unlike his mathematical papers, quickly and with enjoyment. I can remember him reading aloud to me some of the passages, always with a smile, sometimes with a giggle. End quote. Angle on Nathan. He sets down the dumbbells and says, Look, do me a favor. Lay off the textbook approach. But this, too, is cheap. If you manipulate the results of your test by manipulating the subject and the observer, then what is the point of any of this? It is no more than solipsistic ego-boosting, to which there will be no witnesses. How much of a god do you think yourself that you might prove it to one prophet at a time and expect the world to fall into line behind them? This movie is, on some level, both plutocratic propaganda and its inverse meritocratic propaganda, and its inverse. I measure this film from an American perspective, of course, though it is essentially British. Perhaps that distinction doesn't matter as much when we look at the top. Nathan is a genius. Nathan is wealthy. And just as he manipulates Caleb with the timing, with that punching bag on the patio, the film manipulates us by showing us a man who is also physically fit, despite his alcoholic shortcomings. We might see someone worth trying to be in Nathan well before we are given any particular reason not to. That his experiment here leads to his death is barely a failure, because if, when, the world finds out what happened in this Alaskan petri dish house, Nathan's name will go down in history books as far more than some telecommunications mogul. Nathan is not wrong in repainting Caleb's phrasing about him being a god. A martyred god, but still a god. Nathan continues, I just want simple answers to simple questions. Angle on Caleb, though Nathan is still going. Yesterday I asked you how you felt about her and you gave me a great answer. Angle on Nathan. Now the question is, 
He picks up the dumbbells again. How does she feel about you? Back to Caleb. Quiet. Cut to black. Title card. Ava. Session 2. Cut to Ava's hands. Geometric but abstract drawing presented. The script describes her drawing. The marks on it are totally abstract. A mesh of tiny black marks that swirl around the page like iron filings and magnetic field patterns. But the actual drawing is more precise. Less swirls and more stacks of triangles with very straight lines. And one must wonder what Ava drew. What she thought Caleb would think it was. I mean, she asks, what do you think? Angle from the side on Ava's arms. Caleb out of frame to the left. Ava mostly out of frame to the right, though the camera is moving toward her. Her arms waver slightly. The drawing is precise, but unidentifiable. Caleb is abstracted from the scene by being out of frame so far, but Vikander's, and by extension, Ava's, arms waver, making her far more concrete. Caleb, off screen, what is it a drawing of? Ava, don't you know? Caleb, no. Ava, I thought you... And the minute ends. Caleb still out of frame to the left. Thank you for listening. Minutia Ex Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Ex Minutia, Instagram at Minutia underscore X underscore Machina, or Facebook at Minutia X Machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com, or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. What imperative does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Thank you.